Good morning, Christ Fellowship. Great to be here this morning to continue our survey, um, our sermon series, Trying to Serve Two Masters. Now, if you missed any of the previous two messages, how many of you missed those? Could you, could I see you raise your hands? If you missed them, you got to go on Facebook, our Facebook page, Christ Fellowship, Elizabeth, or go to the podcast and listen to it. So much information, so much valuable information that will transform your life. Trying to serve two masters. Now, just a little bit of recap. Remember the first week we talked about the tug of war? The tug of war that goes on in our hearts between what motivates us and who we serve. Now, we started the scripture with the scripture, Matthew 6, 24, that you can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And God wants us to be free from the love of money. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to believe that he'll provide for all of our needs. And most importantly, he wants to give us the wisdom on how to deal with our wealth. Now, last week, we learned uh, a, val a lot of valuable information about how to handle our wealth, okay? And just as a recap, uh, Pastor Gary listed some priorities in our spendings that no matter what you are, at, at what level you're at, what season in your life, what financial difficulties you might be in, by following God's system of spending, you can get out of debt, and you can improve your financial future if you do it God's way. Now, just as a recap, it should be behind me. The top in our spending should be our giving, right? The second should be our paying off our debt because most of us have not been following this system, so we're in debt. The third thing is to put into your savings account. The fourth thing is to pay your taxes. And finally, you notice on the bottom of that list is spending on yourself. Spending on yourself is last. Now, the problem is, as we learned last week, that we have that reversed. Most of us have self on the top, spending on ourself, and God on the bottom. So what happens is we spend, and then we take care of all those other things, and whatever is left over... That's what we give to God. God gets the leftovers. You know, the way you give your money says a lot about what you value, what you're devoted to, and who you serve. When you choose to put God first in your finances, it's telling him that he's the most valuable thing in your life. Now, I want to read a scripture because this, if you grasp this today, this will increase your faith. If you believe God's word and his promises, you will grow in your faith if you begin to apply these things. So from the wisdom book of Proverbs, let's go into chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barn will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So what's the first fruit? 
Well, the first fruit is really in the Old Testament, we read in the book of Exodus that the first fruit was brought to the Lord of the ripe fruit, of the grains, right? And of the wine, the new wine that was produced. It was offered to God as an allegiance to him of our love for him, okay? And our devotion to him. It was telling God, this is yours because you are the giver of all things. Now, if we look at what the first fruit in the Old Testament we can say it started in the book of, Gen- of Exodus in the law of Moses, but I want us to look at an earlier example of an offering that was given of first fruits. And if you turn with me to chapter four of Genesis, you're going to see an example of an offering of first fruits, acceptable offering. Verse one, Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept the flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the ground as an an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel. And his offering, but on Cain, his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now Cain and Abel both brought offerings to the Lord. Did you ever wonder why? Now I have to honestly tell you, I felt sorry for Cain. It's like they both gave offerings. Why was one accepted and the other one rejected? I mean, they were both fruit of their labor. But Cain, it says he brought fruit from the ground, the work of his hands. He was trying to please God through his own efforts. And it's kind of reminiscent of what Adam and Eve tried to do when they tried to sow fig leaves together and hide themselves after they sinned. And God had to, what did he have to do? He had to slay an animal and clothe them with the skin of those animals. So in a sense, Cain's offering could have been rejected because it it was his own self-effort of trying to please God. But I wrestled with that explanation too, completely. And here's why. Because both occupations, Cain worked the ground, Abel tended the flocks, but they were both working in things that were cursed after the fall. Now, I know this is kind of deep, but I want you to really follow me here. They both offered what they were working with. One was leading, you know, the crops, I mean, working the soil, and he brought what he produced. But the difference here isn't the object of the offering. It was the worship or the heart attitude of the person who was giving the offering. Let's take a look at what happened with Cain. Cain's sacrifice, he offered it from just his fruit. But Abel, he took the fat portions. It says he, the best portion of the animal the richest portion of the animal. And he was demonstrating 
to give his best to the Lord, his first to the Lord. He was intentional. He was selective in what he brought. And Cain just brought ordinary fruit. It could have been even poor quality. You know, I'm a gardener, and sometimes I get a prized tomato. You know, that's not what Cain did. He just brought, like the Bible said, fruit of the ground. It was really his heart. He gave God the leftovers because God was way down on the list of his priority. Abel, on the other hand, gave from his first, the first and the best. And that's how our giving should be. Our giving should be a reflection of our relationship with God. Where is God in your heart? We can never escape the principle of wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. Whatever we value most, that's what we're going to give. If you look again at that, that verse, chapter uh, 3 of Proverbs, take another look with me. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will overflow with new wine. Brim over. The barns and the vats represent material wealth, material blessings, because that's the way wealth was measured back then. Their income was based on their flocks and herds and corn and wheat and fruit and wine. You know, we measure wealth differently today. IRAs, CDs, savings accounts, our uh, real estate investments, any other investments, that's what our wealth is. But God, the principle is the same. It's the same principle. Honor God with your first fruit, with your best. And the promise is for us. Our wealth will brim over with new wine. So how do we honor God? How? We give him our first. And the first fruit is the gross of our income. We don't give Uncle Sam our first We give God our first, our best, because if we believe him, and this is what I'm saying, the challenge here is, do you believe this? He can stretch your faith because God can open doors no man can open. He can bring about, align things to happen in your life that you can never have done by yourself. And whatever God does, he promised, whatever he says, he promises he will do when we give him our first. But I do have to add this. You give him your first, and you believe that he will bless you. But you still have to W-O-R-K. You have to work. You have to work and do your best and work for him as if he's your boss because he is, and he knows everything, and he owns everything. And if you honor him with all that you have, you can't outgive God. I want to read some scriptures here. Putting God first in our lives, some of us don't even put him in our schedules. Deuteronomy, look, chapter 8, 19. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today, you will surely be destroyed. Jeremiah 2, 32 says, does a maiden forget her jewelry and a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without measure. How many of you left the house? Have you ever left the house, ladies, 
and you forgot your earrings and you remembered you forgot your earrings and you went back to put them on. Anybody? All right. All right. All right. How about the rest of you? Did you ever forget your cell phone? You forgot your cell phone and you forgot it and you realize it and you turned around and you went home to get it, right? How many of you have, were, were ever reminded that you forgot to spend that time with God and have that present in his presence and prayer and you turned around and you went home so you could spend that time with him? If he's not first in your life, he's not first. If you're not putting him first in the morning, then he's not first in your life. If you're going back for a cell phone and you're not going back to spend time with him, he's not first. How many days go by we don't even say hello to Jesus? We forget to spend time with him. Are we robbing him of his time? Are we robbing him of our wealth, of our giving? I want to read from the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. It's a dangerous place to be in. Malachi 3, starting in verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return to you? Sorry, I lost my spot. Ask, how are we to return? Will a a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse. The whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me. Everybody say, test me. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. And I will prevent, as if that isn't enough, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. So let's consider this passage, right? The appointed portion is tithing. That's where it starts, our tithing and then our offerings. You might think that this is just an Old Testament thing. I've heard that before. You know, tithing is just for the Old Testament. You know, we're not under law anymore. That's the law. We're under grace now. Well, let me tell you something. If the law, we had to give 10% and we're under grace We should give and be compelled to give all the more than 10%. Can I hear an amen? We give them our leftovers. Last week, we saw that God was on the bottom of the list. And instead of being faithful in our tithing, we give God leftovers. I'd rather give God my first and take his leftovers Amen. Do you remember this story? Uh, The little boy with the two fish and five loaves. Okay. Jesus was feeding the multitudes. They say 5,000 men. So it was probably close to 20,000 people that he was feeding from this little boy's lunch. Let me read it to you. Andrew said, here's a boy with five small loaves and two small fish. 
But how far will they go? Boy, what a man of faith, huh? How far, far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled the 12 baskets with pieces of uh, the five barley loaves that were left over from those who had eaten. Now this boy gave his best. He gave his only, his first. God blessed it. And then who do you think took, I think the boy took the leftovers home. 12 baskets filled with leftovers. Can you outgive God? No way. This, God, this little kid put God first and he gave. And I believe he took the leftovers. God's leftovers are much better than our, our little first fruit that we offer to him. He doesn't need any of that. But it's, he's testing your heart and testing your faith in your giving. The principle here is obey first. Then, as he obeyed first, you're going to experience a radical, outrageous answer to your giving. He's going to outbless what you give. Now, can you get excited about that? Well, I mean, when you put in your 10%, can you get excited about what he can do? Your, your wealth will be overflowing, and I get excited about that. But, you know, we get excited about a lot of other things. I mean, we just had the Super Bowl 2019, yay to the Patriots, they won another six. Not my team, but you got to give them credit, they won six. Uh, but I would love to be in the living room of some of those households where there were enthusiasts for the Patriots. I mean, fist pumps, high fives, you know, chips flying all over the place, you know, excitement, shouts, dancing around when they scored, and when they won, a celebration ensued. How many of you can get excited and enthused about worshiping the God who deserves all of our praise and everything that we have? If he's first, you'll be free in your worship. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus doesn't say that we'll be without things. He doesn't say give everything and you'll be without things. He wants to bless us, but he wants us to trust him with the th and use those things that he's blessed us with properly for his purposes and for the purpose of the kingdom. Because with our money, we could either honor God or we dishonor him. There's really no neutrality in it. And let me say this lovingly, okay? Guys, I love you. I really, really, really do, okay? And I'm speaking to myself. God doesn't want your tips. He doesn't want your tips. He doesn't want your 25 cents or dollar or two in the, in the offering, I mean, that's something you slip into somebody's hand after you go to a restaurant and you go out to get your car and the valet comes and drives the car and brings your car and you slip a dollar or two in his hand. 
don't give your, your tips to God. That's disrespectful. That's dishonoring him. Ye of little faith, trust him. Trust him with your first fruit, not your leftovers. Romans 12 says we should be an offering to God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, yourself, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true and proper worship. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing, perfect will. So what is God asking as a first fruit? He's asking for you, that you present yourself as the offering. Before you even present your tithes and offering, offer yourself to him. That's the proper order. And, you know, when you think about your money, you're saying, well, you're talking about money. You're not talking about yourself. But think about all the effort you made in order, order to get the job that you have. You had to pay for school. You had hours of learning, training. And you poured into that, and now you got your job. So as an expression of all that of yourself, how much time do you spend on the job? That's yourself. You're giving God a portion of yourself when you're giving him your first fruits through the offerings that you give. Let's go back to that Malachi, the last two chapters, that Malachi scripture, okay? 10 and 11. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing will not have enough room to store it. And I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit. The reason I wanted to read that again, those last two verses, is because if we are bringing our tithe to the storehouse, what is the storehouse? Did you ever wonder what that meant? The storehouse is the place where you get fed. It's the place where you get seed. So when you're bringing your first fruits into the storehouse, today it translates to the place where you're being fed, where you're getting nourished spiritually. Now, I don't go down to the coffee house and get myself a nice breakfast and then leave and go to Dunkin' Donuts and pay the bill, right? I paid the bill to where I got fed. You're getting fed here at Christ Fellowship. Here's where your first fruit goes. Your tithing goes to Christ Fellowship. Amen. Wherever we're getting fed. And the beauty... the. Verse 11, I want to read that again. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before they're ripe. I don't know about you. If you're not faithful with the Lord, you could probably, and I'm not asking you to raise your hands. Don't do this. But you get this unforeseen expenses. You, you know, you hit a pothole. You got to buy a new tire. It's like holes in your pocket. Like that's the devourer. But God says in this promise, not only is he going to bless you and overflow, but there's going to be, he's going to have a supernatural protection 
uh, over your things where the devourer, who is Satan and his minions, will not uh, destroy your finances or, or cause you to have these, over, these expenses, these unforeseen expenses. It's a promise. It's in his word. But here's where faith comes in. Managing your wealth is God's way to prevent the devourer from consuming your wealth. He wants to bless you. He wants you to be faithful. He wants you to give first. You know, robbery is a curse. Malachi says, are you robbing God? It brings a curse. Faithful tithing brings a blessing. And it's a test of faith. We have to believe God. Do you believe him? If you believe him, because if you believe him, you can have faith to translate into actions because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the key. It's the key to the right giving and it's grace. It's not the law. We have to respond to this message that you're hearing today by faith and actions. It's not just, oh, that was a good message. I think maybe I should do that down the road. (laughs) No. How do we do this? How do we give? We give before we receive. We give in faith, believing that God is going to be true to his word, which he always is. Faith says, or, or doubt says, I can't afford to give to God. I just have too many expenses. But faith says, I can't afford not to give to God. I can't afford not to, because that's where receiving comes. That's how you receive. Listen to what Jesus said in the book of Luke, chapter 6. Give And it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be be measured to you. Jesus, again, he's saying, test me in this as you give, if there isn't such an overflow as a result. You know, Jesus watches what we give. Do you remember the poor widow? You know, there were many wealthy people that were bringing in their offerings, and they were rich and wealthy, and they brought in a lot. But he saw that poor little widow. Let me read it to you. Jesus saw it opposite the place where the widows were put, I mean, where the <laughs> offerings were put, and watched the crowd putting their money into the treasury. Many rich people threw in large amount, but a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor woman has put in more of the, put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all that she had to live on. See, Jesus looks and watches what we give and, and he estimates the true worth of our giving by what we're keeping for ourselves. Are we truly putting him first? If you want to receive generously, you got to give generously. And when you get home, I want you to take a look at uh, two chapters in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9. It talks about generosity and giving. A little bit, an excerpt from chapter 8. It says, now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonia churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up 
in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for a a privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us also. See, they gave out of their poverty. It said it was, it was a joy for them to give and to give even beyond what was expected. God doesn't expect your leftovers. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your money. He wants you. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money, God and mammon. In the, book of, in the book of Exodus, we read a perfect example of believers responding in generosity. And in chapter 35, it says, Moses, they were, they were going to build the tabernacle for the Lord. And they needed the materials to complete the work. And Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is willing, there's the heart, to bring it to the Lord, an offering of gold and silver and bronze, blue, purple, scarlet, yarn, fine linen, and on and on it mentions the different items that they're to bring to the Lord. Now jump down to verse 20. Then, after they heard what the need was, and whoever was willing, it says, then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing, whose heart was moved, then came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service, for the sacred garments. And all who were willing, men, women, and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kind. Now keep in mind here, This is the exodus. These were the slaves. They were enslaved. How did they get all these riches? How did they get all these things? And once they got them, wouldn't you think they'd want to hoard them for themselves? They were slaves for so long. No, they got them from when they left, and the Egyptians were actually hoping that they would leave, and they gave them all their riches. So here they had a choice. Whoever was willing could come and bring it as an offering to the Lord. Chapter 36, verse 6. Then Moses gave an order, and, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from giving more because what they already had was more than enough for the work. So they responded in such a way that there was an abundance too much. They had to actually restrain them. Don't give any more. Can you imagine? The tithe comes. Oh, it's time for tithe on Sunday morning. And we say, whoa, 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 whoa. Look, look we have too much. We have too much. It's overflowing. We're going to give you a week off because you responded in such a way. And we, we don't know what to do with all this wealth. Can you imagine? That's generosity in giving. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what he has decided in your heart, not reluctantly 
or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to bless you. Here's the part. He's able to bless you. Think of all the alls and all the abundantlies and all the everythings here in this verse. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. But it takes faith to believe this. It takes faith in action to see the results of your giving. Because you got to give first before you're going to receive. You got to trust him in your giving, and then you'll see the miracle. Each one of you should give what you decide in your heart, not grudgingly or because it's a requirement, but out of willingness, a willing heart. Because we're not serving money, we're serving God. And God's, God wants to abundantly bless us. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about the get rich kind of theology, but he wants to bless you. And you're holding him back because you're not giving him your first. Matthew 6 says, do not store up your treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up your treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in the steel. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. See, that's the tug of war. Is your treasure God or is your treasure money? We can't lay up our treasures, our money treasures, in heaven. You know, spiritually, when you're serving and giving and tithing faithfully to the Lord, when you're serving the master, they'll outlive you. You're giving to the next generation and the next generation and so on. But when you just work for mammon and money, after you're dead, it goes into somebody else's hand. For more misuse, hopefully not. We started this series with Matthew 24, uh, the same chapter 6. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, you'll love the other, you'll be devoted to one, and you'll hate the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That original word was mammon. Mammon, in the original translation, is an evil force that enslaves people. And so when you're serving mammon, you're being influenced in your spending by an evil spirit. You know, when you give to God first, money won't dictate how you live or how you give. God will. And in summary, I want to give you six facts to write down, six important facts that you need to know about giving to God. The first one is giving is a matter of grace. It's not a matter of the law. We're not adhering to an Old Testament obsolete law that, that, that says that we have to give. It's because we're grateful. It's because grace that we, re- we receive through faith in Christ. And out of that, it's showing our allegiance and our love to the master that we serve. Second thing, we must give to God ourselves first ourselves first, not our money. We can't buy God's favor. 
We can't buy in. And that requires that you surrender yourself to him. As we read in, in uh, chapter 12 of Romans, you present yourself as an offering first. Number three, right giving releases us from slavery to mammon. Number four, it's proof. When we give God's way, when we spend according to his system, when we put him first, it shows our sincerity of our love for him and for other believers. In other words, we're putting our money where our mouth is. Number five, giving calls down God's favor in a supernatural way. And six and final is giving is sowing seed. You can't expect to get an increase if you're not sowing. And if you're not sowing, you're not going to reap. And you can't expect to get an increase if you're not going to continue to sow into God's kingdom. A lot of people spend money. They don't care whether it's going to, if it's going to land on the sidewalk or in the gutter. Can you imagine a farmer throwing seed on concrete and expecting to get a crop? That's how people spend their money. They're not looking for an increase. They just spend. And last week we learned what that can, trouble that can get us into. Nothing's going to change. Nothing unless you take some actions and apply this message in faith to your life. Remember what God said, give and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You will not be able to contain it in your lap. How will you know if that will happen? First, faith, faith in your giving. And then that sets in motion the abundance. And don't get impatient because in Galatians 6, it says, let us not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will harvest we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. I plant seeds in my garden, and I don't expect tomato plants to come up right away. When you sow into God's kingdom, it may take a little time, but you will see the results of your sowing, and the promise that God gives you will happen. Now, how many of you play the, the game of Monopoly? Anybody here? Yeah. My kids love this game. They used to play with the neighborhood kids, and I personally don't like it because I always lose. But, you know, the game of Monopoly is, is an interesting game. And if Dr. James Dobson, anybody ever hear him? Dr. James Dobson, he's a renowned uh, author, psychiatrist, um, Wonderful man of God. He, he was on the, the, some research councils for the United States um, in Congress. But anyway, after he, I can't picture him like this, but he was playing an aggressive game of Monopoly. I mean, he was charging people rent uh, and taking back properties and, you know, just win, win, win. And finally, when it was all over, you know, he was putting the pieces back in the box and all the money back in the box. And he thought about that. That's how a lot of us live. We lived 
and we work hard and we try to earn money and we try to maybe ruthlessly, you know, take money from others, you know, and he saw this as a picture of instead of putting God first and working for all the things that are temporary here, that when it's all over, the end of the game, they put all the pieces back in the box and it was left for somebody else to play the game. And that's how it is with our life. All the pieces will go back in the box. But when you give to God and you sow into his kingdom and you follow his rules of spending and giving, God promises that it will go past your life and beyond into the next generation and the next generation. You're sowing into the kingdom as long as that will be until the end. So really, you're not hating me, I hope, and I'm preaching this in love, but I want to know how many of you truly want to make God first in your life. If that's you, can you stand to your feet? You really want to say today, I'm making a declaration today that God is really truly going to be first in my life. I'm not in everything. We sang that song today, beautiful. We give him everything. He's asking for a tithe first. You want to give him everything. You want to give him your first and your best, not your leftovers. It's a time to put our faith to action. It's a time to stop playing church. It's a time to believing what his word really says. If we believe him and we act upon that, that's called faith. And we will please God. Hallelujah. Let me just pray with you. Let me bow your heads. Lord God, we thank you for your word today, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that today we lift our hands and we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. Lord, we give ourselves to you first Lord, if there's anyone, and I want to ask, if there's anyone with your heads bowed, if there's anyone here who has not done that, has not given themselves to God first, I want you to just step right up here and come to the altar. If you haven't given your, yourself as an offering unto the Lord, as a living sacrifice for him, that's where it all starts. Lord God, and as we lift our hands to you, offering ourselves to you, Lord God, we thank you for the privilege to be a cheerful giver. Lord, that we give of ourselves, which is our money, because we invested so much time in that. And Lord, we're giving it to you as a token of our love, because you're the one we serve. You're our master. We don't want to serve mammon. Lord, forgive us for giving you our leftovers for not trusting you by giving us, giving our first fruits and believing your word that says you will supply, that you will never leave us, that all of our needs will be met. Lord God, I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that we'll become doers of the word and not hearers only. Lord God, that we will become faithful in our giving. And Lord, I pray a blessing 
I pray a blessing on every heart that was moved, every heart that was tugged today. Lord God, that you will pour out, as you said in your word, so much they won't even be able to contain it. Lord, I look forward to the testimonies as many walk in faith in a new way. And I ask and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah.